I'm taking next week off. <gasps> I'm thinking about doing the same. Yeah. Three days for nine. I'll take that deal any day. <laughs> Welcome to episode 420 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back for another episode. Brian, let's blaze this one. How you doing? <laughs> it's a good meme number, right? It's a good meme number. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it'll be a while before we're to episode 42,069. But when we get there, yeah. it, that'll be a great day. <laughs> um, wait, hang on. Let me do some quick math. 42,069 is eight. 101 years. Okay. So, well, you know, with years, medical advances. We're going to be fucking, we're going to be 420, 69. It's going to be sick. Catch uh-huh. you all in 2,821. <laughs> Quick maths. Quick maths. This is why we don't do math live on the show. All right. <laughs> well, in the spirit of this most special of episodes, we have a new sponsor. Hey. Marshall. A sponsor I'm very excited to talk about because we talk about them every week anyways. Who is it? It's Patreon. Oh, coming into the fold. Y'all, Patreon is uh, growing like crazy. It is a rocket ship and they want you, dear listener, designers out there, engineers out there, they want you on board. They are hiring. They're looking for product designers in San Francisco and New York City. I'm going to tell you all about Patreon, the opportunity here, who you'll be joining, and what to do next. But I just want to say, first of all, we love and use Patreon. Uh This is like such a fun and easy read for us because we use the darn thing, right? Like (laughs) Patreon makes it so much easier for us to run the, the supporter side of this podcast. And we've been using them for two years, and it's been getting better and better, and it's been growing and growing. And, uh, you know, not only is it the thing that we use to power the patron portion of this podcast, but you and I, Marshall, I I know you certainly are a patron yourself of creators, and I also use it. I'll shout out my favorite, which is Patrick H. Willems. Uh, Who's your favorite creator that you patronize? Uh, I also have a three-name person, Brian David Gilbert. That's I give him money. Good one, good one. Yeah. Yeah, triple name. Hmm. All right, Patreon. Y'all, this team is, let me just say this. It is so small that you will, if you're like me, will be totally blown away when you realize how much impact they are having on the world right now. The design team is very small. They're growing. But the opportunity here to have leverage and impact cannot be overstated. Patreon is really at the heart of the creator economy. In fact, they've been around for eight years and they kind of were doing the creator economy thing before the words creator economy even meant anything. Today, they support more than a quarter million creators, us included, who collectively have 8 million patrons. And they've paid out more than $2.5 billion to creators since the beginning, but they're already on track to pay out more than $100 million every single month to creators. Insane. On top of this, Patreon also recently raised a massive Series F, 410 cool milli, putting them at a $4 billion valuation. I really think this is one of those rare opportunities to get in a startup of this scale and this impact where you have this much opportunity to 10x the company, more, 20x, 
I don't know. The the world is moving independent. There are going to only be more and more creators who are making money online, and Patreon is at the heart of that. In the last year, the number of creators on their platform grew 120%, and creator earnings grew 150%. On top of all of this, Patreon's culture is also undergoing a huge shift. The name of the game right now for Patreon is Craft. They've elevated their bar, and they're fully committed to shipping beautiful experiences for creators and patrons. If you have used their iOS app, you have likely seen it evolve a ton in the last few months, and that is the effort of a very small number of designers who really, really care about getting this right. If you were to join Patreon today, you'd be joining some of the best designers, engineers, and product leaders in the industry. The talent that they're recruiting right now is really impressive, They've brought in people like Julian Gutman, who's their new CPO, who came in from Instagram. Of course, you'd be able to work with a friend of the pod, Gabriel Valdivia, who is leading design and uh, obviously has a massive body of work at places like Google and Facebook. And they're also starting to explore the implications of really interesting new domains like Web3 and crypto and what those movements could mean for creators and patrons alike. So this is really an opportunity. I mean, okay, yes, Patreon has been around for eight years. Yes, they're valued at $4 billion. But this really is like getting in at the ground floor because there's so much to be built here and so much room to grow and so many interesting things to define that everybody else is trying to figure out. Patreon's got that rocket ship booster ready to go. So here's what you should do. If you want to learn more about their jobs and who they're hiring and if this is right for you, Go to designdetails.fm slash Patreon and apply for a job. Tell them we sent you. I'm sure they'd love to hear it. If you want to learn more about the company and the team and the culture, open the show notes and we're going to have links to three things. The first is the co-founder and CEO Jack Conti's video called The Second Renaissance is Coming. This video, uh, it will inspire you, at least it inspired me. I recommend watching it. We'll also have links to Patreon's culture deck and more info about their team Again, tiny team, huge opportunity for impact. So go check it out at designdetails.fm slash Patreon. Thanks, Patreon, for supporting the show. Thanks, Patreon. We're also supported once again by Play. Play is the first native iOS design tool, and it is in the App Store. If this, if this app is not on your phone right now, what are you even doing? Go download it. Play is a fantastic prototyping tool for product teams to experience their design as they create it. You can use it directly under your device. You can design iPhone apps on your iPhone. It's crazy. If you go to the show notes, the first 25 people who click on the link will get a full access invitation. Go now, show notes, first 25 people. Make sure you download the app on the App Store or go to createwithplay.com. Thank you, Play. Thanks, Play. Get on those codes, quick. And last but not least, Simply. Simply is helping designers and developers work together and giving them creative control over all of their assets. They track every version of the design that you're making. There's no guessing what's changed, where the files are, what's been overwritten, who's working on what, what's ready for developer specs. No more guessing. Simply has you covered. You can learn more about all of their design tools at simply.io. That's S-Y-M-P-L-I dot I-O. Thank you, Simply. Thank you, Simply. Okay, Marshall, we've got some very important pixels as well. Yeah. Welcome to the fam, Natasha Scove. Uh, Natasha gets a bonus shout out here oh. because this is embarrassing to admit. 
we forgot to call out Natasha. Or I should say, I forgot. Or somehow <laughs> the email slipped through the cracks. Anyways, Natasha joined the fam several weeks ago, and we missed it. Oh, no. So sorry about that, Natasha. Yeah, well, we got you. Welcome to the fam. Long overdue. Hope you've been enjoying the sidebars. Also, shout-outs to Parker Gibson, Dennis Espino Maravilla, Yanal Tayem, Udochi, and Benjamin Artiaga. Welcome to the fam, everybody. How'd I do? <laughs> Pretty good, I think. Pretty good. I'm looking okay. at, I was doing a little uh, preview as you're reading. Like, yeah, it seems about right. I just have to say, I don't know if we've we've gotten this captured on the pod, but in the notes app, which is what we use to coordinate all of our show notes, that lowercase a looks exactly like a lowercase o. Uh-huh. It is so hard to read that letter. I don't know why they made this typographic decision. Uh, so if anyone is listening and works at Apple on the Notes app, please just use the other lowercase a. It's so much better. Yeah, give me that hook a. Yeah, legibility at small sizes. Mm-hmm. If you didn't know, we're a listener-supported podcast, which means that every week, listeners like you gather together around the campfire on patreon.com slash design details, where for just a buck a month, just a buck a month, just a buck a month, you get access to double episodes every single week. It's a supporter-only extra segment called The Sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. Uh, The Sidebar is, yeah, an extra episode, extra topic, extra listener question. This week, we're talking about how do you weigh the impact of features that you build on a small versus a large scale. We talk about defaults, we talk about incentive structures, and we talk about the consequences of the things that we're building every day as software designers. So if you want to hear us talk about that and more, get access to our backlog of Sidebars, as well as that sweet double app every week going forward, head to patreon.com slash design details. Just a buck a month. Just a buck a month. Okay, Marshall, shall we? Main topic time. We shall. All right, this week's main topic comes to us via DM. I don't know if we're, we should say who this is from, so we'll just say from Anonymous. But Yeah, DMs are always considered anonymous, by the way. If you want us to read your name, you got to post an issue on our GitHub repo. Or just let us know. Or, yeah, that too. <laughs> but it's a great question. So Anonymous asks... Hey, Brian and Marshall, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the use of the hand pointer cursor icon for clickable elements. Mm. Windows, macOS, and HTML seem pretty clear that it is intended only for links, which lack the visual affordance that buttons have, while material design and seemingly most web apps embrace the hand for all clickable elements. Uh I haven't found what the official rationale is for using the hand everywhere, and I'm also curious what users most expect at this point. Mm. This is a Mm. great question. I love this. Uh, We actually were talking about this a little bit last night after movie night. So let's continue the conversation here or, or recap a little bit. Yeah. So first of all, I guess we should call out, like, Marshall, maybe describe this distinction between a link and the button and why those get different cursors, or at least historically why they've had different cursor requirements. Well, here's the thing, man. You mentioned that, and I was like, I don't know if that's even really the where the line is drawn. or I don't... The, the line is so blurry between like what is a link and, and what is a button like, you know, because there's text buttons. Is that a button or is that a link? It looks just like a link until you hover over it. Like, I don't know. But uh, what do you think? Yeah. So if you talk to like a, I don't know what you'd call this, an HTML purist, they might say, you know, what was articulated in the question here that you want the pointer cursor with the little hand, single finger pointing, right? You use that for links, but then a button button has hover changes and styles and active styles. And so you can just use the regular pointer because the clickability is 
inferred or communicated more clearly just by the nature of the button style. Rather than, yeah, rather than the input reacting, it's mm-hmm. the interface reacts to a hover of the input. Yeah, but I just, it doesn't feel right. Yeah. And look, somebody could call me out and be like, Brian's full of shit. He doesn't know what he's talking about. But I'll just say this. Hovering over a button that uses the default pointy cursor, you know, the little arrow with the mouse tail instead of the hand, it feels broken. It feels wrong. It feels like the button's disabled. I have come to expect that anything clickable, certainly on the web, maybe it gets a little bit fuzzier when you're talking about like native apps, right? When you're dealing with a stock Mac OS app, right? Like this isn't true. Really talking about the web. But on the web, a clickable thing gets the pointy cursor hand, right? And anything else feels busted. How about for you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think it starts to feel broken when either is missing, right? I expect both the interface and my input method to understand that something is going to happen here and let me know. They should both react, right? So when either one isn't working, it feels broken to me. Does that make sense? A hundred percent, yeah. And I don't know why this is. Like, why Why does the stock pointy cursor feel broken when you're hovering over a button? And for me, it gets kind of into, like, the, the hand has, like, dimension and a tactile feel. Like, it actually feels like that finger is about to push something. But the pointy stock cursor, it feels flat. It feels like it's not alive. And it feels like I would just be slapping, like, this flat cursor against a button but not clicking the button like if i'm thinking about clicking something i want that little finger to like push it right yeah (laughs) this sounds crazy to say out loud but like there's something tactile about the cursor well see here's what it feels like to me I, i know exactly what you're saying but for me it feels like the arrow pointer is like a spear stabbing, right? Like that's mm. a one pixel cursor, right? Like right. really when I'm using that cursor, I'm thinking about the one pixel at the point of that spear. So when it comes to a button, no, I want to press it, right? Like, and the hand, the, the hand cursor feels like it has a larger press point, right? Because it's that whole fingertip or whatever, even though it's just like five pixels instead of one, it feels like a different thing. And also... That's what I would want to do is I would want to tap a button. I would want to press it with my finger. But in lieu of that, you know, without being able to actually touch my screen, the next best thing is the hand cursor. And I wouldn't Mm -hmm. stab my screen with a spear. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. It it just seems like the right input. And, And again, like I said, both the interface and the input react to the fact that something is different here. Yeah. So, yeah, now I'm just wondering, like, where did that original spec come from that said pointer for links not pointer for buttons i I don't know and at this point i feel like it doesn't matter right Uh like we shouldn't care Uh this is one of the things i mentioned last night when we were talking it it feels like literally to me right for a while it it Uh bothered me when people used literally to mean figuratively like no, you're saying the exact literally. opposite yeah, yeah. of what yeah. you actually mean. No, you mean figuratively, but you're saying literally. Like, I, I was literally starving. I literally died. No, no, uh-huh. you didn't, right? But <laughs> but uh-huh. it's become so well used and so ubiquitous that literally actually means the opposite of what it initially meant. 
So I'm not going to be able to change that, right? Like that's just where society has taken it. And I feel like that's a similar thing happening here where like we've just evolved to the point where, yeah, maybe it's not what we were supposed to do in the first place, but this is how people are using it and it feels right, even though it's wrong. So who cares? Yeah. I mean, this is one of those things where I feel like it's okay to say who cares, but there is certainly a line where it would be irresponsible to say who cares. In this case, it doesn't feel like there's damage being done by ignoring whatever that rule is and just saying, look, if it's interactive, show me the pointer because it's still clear. People expect it. It feels more human. Sure. Um, But I I don't know where that line necessarily would be drawn between who cares versus, well, you should care, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, I guess I don't know what the original intention of the rule was for if it was just to differentiate between buttons and links and that was literally the only reason for it then literally let's 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 let that fall into the scrap uh-huh. heap of history and move yeah. forward with something that feels better as an experience but yeah. i don't know i feel like we're any sort of accessibility thing that it would affect i feel like we're already accounting for with normal accessibility stuff like i, I can't imagine that it would create a hole that isn't patched elsewhere you know mhm I think, you know, a couple places to go from here. So one is for people who haven't written CSS before, it's actually surprising how many different cursor types there are. I'll have a link to the, the MDN web docs for the, the cursor spec. There's eyeballing 20-ish cursors, um, but a lot of those are like resize, resize east, resize north, south. But there's other ones that are really fun, like grab and grabbing, which you've encountered if you've ever had an interface that like, you could pan around, right? Like a canvas-based application. In fact, I, I was doing some research. I'll have a link to this in the show notes as well, but we have a link to a question on the Stack Exchange about the origin of all of these cursors. And of course, it was Susan Kerr, who originally in Mac Paint on the original 1984 Macintosh had the grab cursor for panning around the canvas in Mac Paint. And that, of course, evolved over the years. And at some point, we they flipped from being sort of like just flat outline hands to being like the Mickey Mouse three lines on the back of the glove hand, right? Like it went from a hand to a gloved hand at some point. I don't know why though. Couldn't figure out a clear answer. Well, actually I'm looking at the Stack Exchange article that you sent. And if you scroll down far enough, you see that in 10.7.2, Mac OS Uh 10.7.2, There was both the outline hand as well as the three-line Mickey Mouse hand living in Uh the same build, but by 10.7.3, they had gone full-on Mickey Mouse hand. And it looks like from there on, it's all Mickey Mouse. Yeah, tiny details. Anyways, do you know, know, is this explicitly Mickey Mouse-inspired? It has to be, right? It's got to be, or whatever Mickey Mouse was inspired from. But yeah, I mean, it's it's the classic, like, butler alfred white glove service kind of hand thing which makes me wonder if that's why they did it partially because of the ability to create a wrist line right because like when it's just a hand like well where does the arm end you know but if it's a glove there's a clear definition of where that wrist Mm -hmm. line is whereas before it just Mm -hmm. kind of faded off and this is kind of the problem that that windows has because they just have a outlined hand with a straight off wrist cut off line, you know? Yeah. And it looks so awkward, right? Yeah. And I think it's kind of nice to have this natural 
ending. And there's even a little detail there of a little cut into the, the hem of the wrist where it's like, yeah, there'd be a little seam there. It's like a, so much detail in this hand. It's amazing in for how few tiny, pixels it is. tiny space. Granted, it's using anti-aliasing, so it's not just binary on or off pixels, black or white, but still they're creating a ton of depth and organic shapes. <laughs> like with that few pixels, it's so hard. I don't know if you've ever drawn icons, especially like a 16 by 16 icon before. It's a tiny, tiny puzzle, and it's really hard <laughs> to figure out. Yeah. Which makes it fun, but I can't imagine trying to draw a hand at 24, let alone something as small as a cursor. Uh, it's really, really impressive, mostly because it's just the, the test of time, right? Like these things were invented so long ago, and they're just, we take it for granted. You know, this this question also took us down another rabbit hole, which is, why is the default cursor slightly angled? And there's like a technical reason, right? Like, why is your pointers, you know, pointing up into the left? Well, I think it's interesting to start from the very beginning, which was on the earliest computers, the cursor pointed straight up, right? Instead uh -huh. of being at like a 15 degree angle, it pointed straight up. But when they moved to a pixel grid, it was a lot clearer to draw a line straight down and another line at 45 degree angle to create that wedge shape of the pointer rather than two shallower symmetrical angles coming mm -hmm. straight down. So, so that's why it's at that 30 degree or whatever angle is because it read most clearly on really low resolution pixel screens. Yeah, so that's the technical reason, but it's also somehow it feels, even that slight angle feels slightly more organic and human right like yeah it's the angle your arm would come in if you're yeah, yeah maybe we're just inferring too much meaning here right like a like a high school english teacher like <laughs> you know this about is what literature. this sentence means it's like uh -huh. no it's literally just describing the color of a door uh -huh. um but yeah when you reach out for something your arms kind of like rotated in a little bit like your fingers not exactly straight out it's really awkward to have straight shapes on your body so anyways i don't know if that was also another maybe secondary reason they, they ended up with the, the slightly angled cursor. Well, if you look down at, like I was saying, the 10.7.2 image, that first hand cursor with the index finger pointing is straight up and down, but by 0.3, they had angled it as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's got a little crook in the finger, like a little... It's got a little crook in the finger, yeah. just a tiny little one-pixel bulge, yeah. Yeah. Just a, a little bend, right? And I think, if I'm not mistaken, isn't there even a version where the finger is pressed down? I know there's an open hand and a grabby hand, but is there an index finger pressed down state of that cursor? I know exactly what you mean, because I feel like I have seen something like that, but it's not in this spec, uh, at least not in the CSS spec. So maybe natively somewhere else? I don't know. There's grab and grabbing, which is close. But just the finger going down, I'm not sure. Yeah, I feel like that would that'd be really nice. A little subtle detail on the click, mm -hmm. on the press down, you know. I bet you could do that with a if you cloned the the hand and like made your own, I bet you could fake that with your own CSS. CSS. Yeah, yeah. There you go. There's a project for your uh, for your yeah. website, Brian. <laughs> just moves the the finger down a tiny bit. All right. Well, Thank you so much, Anonymous Question Asker, for this. This was a really fun topic. We'll have links in the show notes for people who also want to go down the rabbit holes that we did uh, and learn a little bit more about the history of cursors on the computer. Fun stuff. Yeah. All right, Brian. Cool things? Yeah, you got a cool thing for me? Yeah, yeah. All right, so Marshall, uh, for the last year, I've been using an email app called Tempo, which is like an 
indie email app and it was really beautiful and they had a couple cool design philosophies like they really centered the product around the idea of batching your emails so you know instead of having your inbox open all day and just getting randomly pinged as other people's priorities demand uh, instead they said like no 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 you should have control over your inbox pick what time works best for you we'll hold all your emails back and then at say eight in the morning and four in the afternoon We'll deliver them all in bulk. And then you don't have to be distracted anytime in between or outside of those those times. So you choose your own, say, tempo? Hey, nice. I loved it. It was great. They'd just gotten to the point where the, the iOS app was, was solid, had some really cool interaction design around triaging an inbox. Like they really helped you focus on getting to inbox zero where some things would just be marked as to-do, right? And so really treating your inbox as a to-do list, which is how I use my email, and I'm also an inbox zero kind of person. Anyways, fast forward a year and they shut down. And this happened last month. I was really bummed. I really liked what they were building. So anyways, I was back on the market for a solid email app. And I went back to what I was using previously, which was called Spark. Uh, I use the Spark Mail app on Mac OS. And it's fine. It's okay. It doesn't feel native it feels a little bit slow and all of these email apps, like the only way they can monetize is to sell team features, right? Like use your work email and we'll let you know when your teammates have access to leave comments on your emails and stuff. And like becomes all this collaborative shit that I don't want. Like I just want a unified inbox for a few email accounts. I want it to be fast. I want it to feel native and I want it to have all the keyboard shortcuts that I'm used to from Gmail. Anyways, so Spark was fine. It's okay. But I started poking around. And lo and behold, I stumbled upon an app called MimeStream. MimeStream. I don't know what that name means. I've tweeted, like, I think the name needs a workshop, but I think this is just a solo developer, so I'm not going to cast too much shade here. There must be a good reason behind the name. But this mail app is really, really good. Uh, It looks and feels native. I think it is native. And it looks like the stock mail app, but it's just better specifically for the primary reason that you can just enable the the gmail keyboard shortcuts which once you're used to those it's impossible to use the mail app because mail doesn't let you do that you'd have to like go in and custom remap all the all of your shortcuts so anyways uh that's my cool thing is MimeStream. it's an email app for mac os no mobile companion yet i'm still happy with outlook for ios i think outlook for ios is fantastic but for Mac OS, you know, if people are looking for something new, switch it up a little bit, something feels native, this is really, really good. Um, so MimeStream.com. Cool. Yeah, I was looking at it. It looks just like, or very similar to native mail. Yeah, and it has tons of the native features you would want. But yeah, they just bring in like all the little touches that are really, really nice from Gmail. But of course, it's not having to go to Gmail. It's really fast. opens pretty much instantly. So it's great. Cool thing, Brian. All right. How about you? All right. My cool thing this week, Brian, back to some music. A long-awaited album has finally released. It is An Evening with Silk Sonic uh, featuring Bruno Mars and Anderson Pack and Silk Sonic, of course. Have you listened to this album, Brian? Uh, no, I just know the one song that they, like the single they released that got really famous, popular. There's several. Leave the Door Open, Skate. Maybe Leave the Door Open as well. Smoking Out the Window. Uh, yeah, I don't know any of those. Anyways. Well, all three of those are really great songs, and they are from this album. It is a throwback to 70s R&B, replete with all of the instrumentation and 
harmonies and crazy key changes and modulations that you know and love from that era of music. It's fucking timeless. And I've had this album on repeat since it dropped last Friday. I absolutely love it. I don't know what more to say about it, but oh, oh, you should check out the music videos if you haven't yet for especially okay. Leave the Door Open and Smoking Out the Window. The music videos look like the music feels, especially Smoking Out the Window, complete with you know group choreography and the stage and the colors and the lighting and everything. It's fucking perfect. So if you haven't heard this album and you at all are interested in 70s R&B, this is like a modern version of that, but stays true in all the best ways. One of my oh, favorite albums wow. of the year. Love it. High praise. Okay. Well, uh, your music recommendations have not steered me wrong thus far, so I will play this tomorrow. It's only nine songs and high quality all the way through. Awesome. Okay. Well, that's it. That's an episode 420 of the Design Details podcast. Thank you again to Patreon for making this episode possible. Patreon is hiring product designers in San Francisco and New York City. You can learn more about the role at designdetails.fm slash Patreon. Be sure to open the show notes and click around some of our links to watch Jack Conti's second Renaissance video to get inspired and learn more about Patreon's culture and their team. So thank you, Patreon. Of course, if you enjoyed the show and you want to tell people about it or get in touch with us for any reason, we're on Twitter at Design Details FM. We appreciate the tweets, the DMs. If you have uh, topics you want us to talk about in the future, like our anonymous DM today for the cursor hand debate, be sure to shoot us a message or open an issue on our GitHub at github.com slash design details slash design details. And finally, if you've been enjoying the show, consider supporting us. We're on Patreon, patreon.com slash design details for just a buck a month. Just a buck a month. Just a buck a month. Get access to that double bonus content. Today, we're talking about how we weigh the impact of the things that we build on a small or a large scale. So you want to hear about feature impact and thinking about incentive structures and the way software treats humans, head over to patreon.com slash design details. That's it. We'll catch you next week. Bye. It's a good time to just take the full shebang, you know? Most people are going to be gone, you know. <laughs> Most people are checked out, yeah. Yeah, I I only realized that it was a thing because I saw a lot of my meetings starting to show up as like, hey, you're the only one going to this meeting. Do you want to remove it from your calendar? Like, oh, uh -huh. maybe, I should, uh, maybe I should take the week <laughs> off. Yeah, yeah.